Adrian is going to read for us from Colossians uh, at the end of chapter 1, verses 24 through 2, 5. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of, his, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, and in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am as absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. The word of our Lord. Thanks. Let me pray for us. Lord, guide us now uh, into this um, amazing, uh, in some ways uh, mysterious, and in some ways the mystery's up, uh, this amazing reality, uh, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Uh, God, my mouth now uh, that I may say only what you want me to say, uh, nothing more, nothing less, and awaken our hearts uh, to the treasure uh, that we have uh, in you. Uh, may it not be a small thing this morning. Um, may it be what it is. Uh, we ask this in your precious, precious name, Jesus. Amen. All right, have a seat. So I got thinking about, uh, I feel like I'm on a little bit of a rut in movies right now, in movie references. Uh, got thinking about the movie Goonies the other day. You guys, everybody seen the movie Goonies, right? Yes. Uh, it has all the components of uh, all great 80s movies in the movie Goonies. Uh, but if you haven't seen the film, or if you're needing to remember what it was about, uh, the film was this group of, uh, of outsiders, basically, right? Uh, they were fighting uh, for their place, for their neighborhood, for their homes, for their place in this world. And they were being pushed out uh, by, the, by the big developer, right? Wasn't that the storyline? The big developer who wanted their land. And they, um, they find this treasure map, right? Up in an attic, I believe it was. This was a young Sean Austin young Josh Brolin, uh, they find this treasure map and they go on this, this treasure mystery quest in order to find uh, One-Eyed Willie's treasure, right? So they essentially go on this, this faith journey based on this treasure map that they find and they, they go on this quest to find this treasure. And this idea, really, that there's this treasure out there that there's something that could impact the circumstances that they were in, the circumstances of their day, and they were driven by that. It drove them to go on a crazy adventure 
if you remember the film, hoping that that treasure could be found, that as a result, their future standing, their future circumstances would be radically changed, their homes could be saved, the mystery could be solved, right? Hope, longing, desire, glory, treasure. It's all in that movie. But it's not just the storyline of Goonies. It's the storyline, I would say, of our lives. It's the storyline, I would argue, of much of religion. The storyline of if I can just crack the code, if I can just solve the mystery, if I can get the right techniques here, if I can avoid all the, all the booby traps and pitfalls. Remember the guy with the, the glove that came out of his chest? If I can get through all of the pitfalls, then on the other side of that, there's treasure, there's glory, right? Well, Paul is writing this letter, and he's inviting and he's reminding the Colossian church, which was a, um, which was a mix. Uh, they ultimately don't completely know, but predominantly written to Gentile audience. He talks about the Gentiles in here, so the Goonies, <laughs> in that sense, the people on the outside of the promises of God, right? He's writing to the Goonies, and he's saying this, the treasure, the glory that you're looking for, it isn't something that you have to go find or that you have to go create for yourselves Rather, this treasure, it's come to you. And in fact, you know, it says there in verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. It's not just come to you. You would have never found it. You could have never found it unless God would have done something to to cause you to find it. He has to do something. And that treasure, it's right there. It's right under your noses. You don't have to go on some giant journey, some giant quest, some giant religious ladder of effort to climb to get to you. It's right there. It's Christ. And yet, what the Colossians were struggling with is what we see the Goonies going through and what I see myself as a Goonie. Goonies forever, right? Isn't that what they say at the end of the film? Yeah. The age-old quest that the human heart finds itself on day in and day out. And I really believe that what that is, is sin's perversion of our original good desire. Which was this, that I was, I was made to experience and live in glory that I was made to be in glory and in glory with God and from God in His glory. And sin has taken that. The flesh has taken that. One of the primary ways that sin is described is sin's deceitfulness, right? <laughs> sin deceives me or the enemy, Satan. He, he's a stealer, right? He steals, kills, and destroys. He steals the treasure that you already have and says, no, it's out there. It's somewhere else. You don't have it. Sin perverts that original desire that I I am a treasure. I am treasured by the Lord. I'm the crowning act of His creation. 
and says, go find a treasure. It's out there. And it has the Colossians, and I think it has us, many days missing what we already have. What's right in our backyard, what's, what's already ours. Not just what we have, but who it is that we are in and is in our hearts. Because <laughs> the mystery is solved, is what this passage is saying. The mystery is solved, and the mystery is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's a lot in this passage that we could talk about. I'm going to talk about this one verse, uh, maybe a little bit in, this, in part two. Um, and I just want you, I want, I want to confess something to you. As somebody um, probably has spent as much time thinking about hope and desire and longing and uh, glory and things like that than any, anything else. Pastors kind of get their little pet projects that they spend time on. And I feel like a guy who's standing up here and uh, kind of blindfolded, swinging at the pinata right now. <laughs> uh, I'm going to hit the pinata. But you ever seen somebody hit a pinata? Uh, only the first hit, only a little bit of candy falls out, right? Uh, what we're about to do, we could hit that pinata for the rest of our lives, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, do it. W- would you go on the journey? Would you dare to go on the journey of saying, if I would just consider, meditate, contemplate, what in the world does this mean that God has come and dwelt in me? It will change your life. It will change everything about your life. So Christ in you, it's the first thing we're going to talk about. We're going to knock the pinata. (laughs) The hope of glory. What is that all about? And then thirdly, experiencing that treasure or that mystery together. Okay? Christ in you. What does that mean? The hope of glory, what is that about? Experiencing the mystery or experiencing the treasure together. Those are the three points. I'll hopefully do this in 20 minutes. You're like, no way. I know. There's pizza coming. Pizza in me, pizza in me. The hope of stomach ache. All right, Christ in you. What does that mean? So I was on a missions trip in Ireland one time, and uh, an Irish guy was interviewing a friend of mine, and she was giving her testimony, and she said this phrase, which is a very familiar phrase if you're a Christian, I've accepted, I've accepted Jesus into my heart, right? I've received Christ in, into my heart. And he, he looked at her, and he, this is an old, the old Irish guy, John Moxon, who you know, you've heard me talk about. And he puts a microphone in her face, and he goes, what does it mean that he lives in your heart? And she literally goes, uh... I, I don't know. <laughs> it was just this like record scratching moment where we realized like we say this sort of stuff, but do we really know what in the world we're talking about? Like what does it actually mean? What are the implications of the fact that Christ is in you? Not just near you. You know, he's not just a buddy that you have, you know, kind of a, a good friend along for the journey. What does it mean that Christ is in you. Well, let me just say that means a lot, but what it meant for the Colossian church, for these people, because that's what we're studying, right, was that the God that was distant, did you ever feel like God is distant? The God who was spiritual, uh, one of the Gnostic, 
you know, heresies was that the material world did not matter. So, uh, you know, our bodies and things like that didn't matter. All that mattered was spiritual things. And so there's a real devaluing of the material world, okay? Which, if you think about the implications of that, it's like, well, man, new heavens, new earth, glorified bodies. There's a lot of things that God seems to care about in Scripture that they're saying, hey, that doesn't matter. So this God who is distant, who is spiritual, and who is impersonal, right? And if you were a Jew, he had to be related to you through your ongoing sacrifices and through your works. Or if you were a Gentile and maybe getting sucked into this Gnosticism, he had to be discovered by some spiritual religious superknowledge, right? Some, some system of superknowledge that they were trying to figure out this elevated spiritual place, that that God has now drawn near and so near that for like a Jew, you know, God who in the desert, he tabernacled, right? They, they built the, you know, the temporary temple and he tabernacled and they could barely get so close and only the high priest could kind of go all the way into the Holy of Holies or in the temple in the Old Testament. That God who they could barely get close to, who they couldn't say the name of, He's not just among us. He now lives in and through us, is what Paul is saying. Like when we studied last week where it says, I'm, I'm telling you that you are an alien, you are an enemy, and that you are evil, but now you are holy, you are without blemish, and you are free from accusation. Those aren't just terms about what he's done for you. It, it literally is hearkening back to the reality of this, this issue. Christ in you, that, that, that when the temple was prepared for worship. Everything in the temple had to be absolutely clean to perfection. Not just so it was like, I'm putting out mom's china for Thanksgiving, so we want everything to look great, right? No, the temple had to be perfect because God was coming to dwell in it. So he has made you holy. He has made you without blemish. He has made you free from accusation because he is saying, I'm moving in not just like, I want to wash you up so you look really pretty and clean. I'm making my home in you. I'm inhabiting you. It's why we say things like this. This is the reality is you don't go to church. We are the church, right? We're gathered together as those, if you're in Christ, in whom he dwells, which means you're pregnant with something. Guys, it's the only chance we got, right? But it's painful because he's birthing something in you. And it's something beautiful, but it hurts because there's going to be some, some death and some life in that pregnancy. You're pregnant with something, with the Holy Spirit, which Scripture says is a mystery. It's mysterious in the sense of, man, it's hard to understand, but it's not... It's not an unsolved mystery, it's an unfolding mystery, right? Just because I don't understand everything about it doesn't mean I don't know what it is. It's an unfolding mystery. So there are aspects of that that we can comprehend, but there are going to be elements of it for the rest of our lives. We'll be hitting that pinata and saying, man, help me understand, shake out more of the mystery for me. Christ in us. Well, if that's true, why doesn't he feel more near? Ooh. 
If, it's, if what I just said is really true, he's cleaned the temple, he's made me the temple of the living God, and he has moved in, why does God not feel more near? I think part of the reason, a big part of the reason, is the second part of the sentence, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I think this issue of glory and our misunderstanding of it and the way that culture and our flesh and sin gets us aiming the arrow of glory in the wrong direction keeps us from actually experiencing what is true about us. I've already got it. Christ in you, it's not just Christ in you. Oh, and by the way, the hope of glory. Christ in you, and with that comes this thing called the hope of glory. What does that mean? What it practically meant for the Colossians was this. I'm going to stay. It means a lot of things. (laughs) The hope of glory means a lot. What it meant for the Colossians was, was this. Let me just say something first about the word hope. Biblically, the word hope is not, you've heard me say this before, optimism. It's not uh, wishful thinking. There's no maybes, you know? Like, man, I, geez, I hope that really happens for me. There's none of that. Hope is, is defined in biblical terms as certainty. It's done. It's finished. It's called an anchor for your soul. It's cast iron, right? You could almost say it like this, that you don't have hope. Hope has you. <laughs> You can't stop hoping. Even in the darkest moments, you still find that part of you that wants to believe it can be better, right? What's that about? Hope. The hope of glory, it's not, it's not optimism, it's a guarantee. He's saying if you have Christ and Christ is in you, you've got this guarantee of glory. And so for the Colossians who through their Gnosticism, through their religion, even the Jews, through their Judaism, (laughs) they're trying to secure their future, their eternal future, and even their present future, tomorrow, the security of glory, the nearness of God. They were trying to get that for themselves through their effort. They were believing the deceit that I'm going to be set apart, (laughs) right? I'm going to be holy by my own special knowledge and by my own special practices. If I live right and I have the right understanding, then God will give me the life and the afterlife that I desire. Which, by the way, I think this is tough for us modern people. We just don't think a lot about the afterlife. We don't. I'll talk about that here in a second. There's a danger to not thinking about it enough because you're trying to get all of it now. These folks spent probably a lot more because their lives were probably a heck of a lot harder than ours. Probably. Definitely. <laughs> a first century you know, person was you know, life expectancy and everything. They, they thought more about the next life because this one wasn't going to be so great. Paul is saying that security of glory that you were made for, that you're designed for, and that you long for, you already have that through no effort of your own, but entirely by God's choice and entirely by the work of His Son, Jesus. 
And the truth is that now God is directly, personally present with his people and all the glory he has, all the glory he has, this guy, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, heaven on earth, visible and invisible. Everything we read last week, that guy. All the glory that he has, we now share in, right? And we are guaranteed fully. So there's some, there's some I get it, delayed gratification, which we struggle with as well, right? We are guaranteed fully when he returns. And he has said in Scripture, I have given you that Holy Spirit as a deposit. It's a down payment. I've I've given you that as a deposit and a guarantee of what is to come. Here it is. And if you have that, you've got that and everything that comes with it because you've got me. Have you you ever met somebody who's been really successful and they've gotten a lot of glory? Have you ever noticed how much free stuff they get? Like, I've got golf clubs that were given to me by a music artist who people admired, and so they gave him free golf clubs. And then he gave me those golf clubs a year later because someone gave him more free golf clubs. And I'm like, you're successful, and you have the money to buy golf clubs, and people just keep giving it to you. Why? Glory. You get that, you get everything that comes with it. It's the same way. You get him, you get everything that comes with him. You are an heir and a co-heir of Christ, heirs to a fortune and a future and a glory that will make this world pale in comparison. Everything we're doing here, everything we're fighting and clawing and scratching for, literally is merely just a shadow of the real. The real thing that your heart most deeply longs for and desires. Do you believe that? If you don't, man, you should be terrified because you are literally trying to, it's like wringing out a rag. You're trying to wring out glory as you walk out these doors. And he's saying, no, brother and sister, you were made for something so much more than what you're going to get tomorrow. If that's true, if, if, I, if, I, if, I get, if I have everything in Christ and therefore everything that comes with it, why am I not a joy bomb constantly? I mean like cannonballing into tomorrow. Because <laughs> Paul, I mean, he's in prison, right? And he says, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. Suffering for you who am I, I have never met. I mean, this has really convicted me. I'm pretty... <laughs> I almost said that. What if I was, I was almost a humble brag. I'm pretty good at loving people who love me. I got really convicted about the fact, that, like, do I love people that I don't even know? Because that's what he's talking about. He's, 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 he is rejoicing in being in prison and writing a letter to people that he doesn't even know. How? He must understand something about what's guaranteed him that he doesn't have to get tomorrow in prison. Like, I've heard it said this, that you can be too heavenly-minded to be earthly useful. I think C.S. Lewis said that. And uh, people were arguing that, like, 
you could spend so much time thinking about the glory that is, is yours in Christ that you would actually become kind of a toad here in the world. Um, there's no way. Lewis certainly argued that, that, that obviously what we see even in Paul's life is he's not sitting around like, well, the glory that's it's coming, Doo-doo-doo. right? No. He, he's, he's actually fueled to step into his world in a completely different way because of what he understands about the glory that is to come. Like, I've never met a person, and I've never said this myself, that I ran into and said, hey, how's your day going? And they're like, man, I, uh, I lost track of the entire day because I was contemplating what it was going to be like to be with Christ and all that that means and the glory that is mine. And like, I forgot to pick up my kids at school, (laughs) you know, like the whole day went away because I was so heavenly minded. I've never heard anybody say that. I've never said that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why doesn't that matter? Well, here's why I think it doesn't matter. Because I don't want to get that close to God. Because He will disrupt my pursuit of my glory. And He will teach me that my glory quest is way too small. And I don't want that. That's why He doesn't feel near. It's because he doesn't share glory. And he knows that if I let him draw that near, as near as he is, <laughs> it's going to be like if you were alive when Geraldo went to Al Capone's vault. You remember that? Man, this is deep cut stuff, people. <laughs> you remember that? Geraldo, the guy with the mustache? And he, it was this huge thing on TV. Al Capone's vaults. And they keep knocking through walls like, "Mm, maybe it's on the other side of this wall. Knock through another wall. And eventually the TV show ends like, yeah, he must have moved all the treasure. (laughs) That's what we know will happen. Is is that if God draws that near, he'll knock through all the walls and we'll realize that glory quest that I'm on, that my flesh and my sin have constantly since the garden. Remember, Adam and Eve, they had glory. They already had it. And what was the deception? Get a little bit more. There's something out there that you don't yet have. It keeps me knocking through the walls looking for a treasure that's not there. And when I'm not walking in step with what's true about who I am in Christ, I'm not interested in glory that's given to me for no reason. I'm not interested in a participation trophy. You see, I want to be set apart. I do. I would love, there's a part of my flesh that would love for you to leave today going, man, whoa. I want to be set apart. I want to be without blemish. I want to be free from accusation because of something I did. Not something that was done for me and done for everyone else too. What's special about that? 
You see, apart from God's grace, (laughs) him working in my heart, I hate grace. And I love law. And I don't want to have Christ in me. I want to be Christ. I want to be the Messiah. And the glory that I want is simply reduced to the affirmation that I'm better than somebody else. My glory is a glory by comparison, right? Which scripture calls pride. It's the glory of self, and there's no rest there because you have to keep being better than the next person, right? You ever met a one-upper? You ever been a one-upper? C.S. Lewis writes about it in his chapter on Pride Mirror. He says that pride is, gets no pleasure out of having something, only having more of it than the next man. I don't want to share in something. I want more of it than the next person. You have this, but I have it, and I have it one better. I knew that from junior high. I had a bike in junior high. It was back when, like, freestyle bikes were really cool with the, like, rotor so you could spin the handlebars. Joe Reedy and I bought the same bike, but I didn't know he bought the bike, and we ran into each other at the, at the ball field, and he, he, like, almost beat me up. Like, there was a physical altercation, and he definitely would have won. Over what? I, here's my new bike. We, we can't have the same thing. I, my bike has to be better than your bike. Glory. Culturally, glory is about being unique and set apart from everyone else. And Paul is saying something profound here. The glory you were made for is that you are unique and you are set apart, not in and of yourself, but in him. And as a recipient of his grace and our pride and our flesh and our sin, they hate that. It's hard because we almost exclusively think about glory in terms of our individual glory, not our communal glory. (laughs) Right? What we all share in, what we all have in Christ, this is the glory that we've been duped to believe that it's about you, it's about, it's about me, not it's about us. This is the glory that we were made for, not the glory of self. That's what the Gnostics were into, right? Go read the essay on the inner, inner ring, C.S. Lewis wrote, about being on the inside of the inside of the inside. He's saying that's not the glory that you were made for. The glory you were made for we all share and we all have in Christ. And when that begins, that coin begins to drop. And the certainty, the guarantee of that begins to become real to us and we begin to experience it. It actually frees us now to stop living a life of obsession with my own personal advancement. I mean, that's Paul's journey, right? If you study his life, his whole life prior to his conversion was my own glory through my own religious effort. Caught by Jesus on the road to Damascus and now a life of humility calling him to seek the glory and the good of others, right? What did Jesus say to Paul after his conversion? I'll show you how much you're gonna have to suffer for my name. 
What's he basically saying? He's basically saying, you were acting like all of this religious stuff was about me and my glory, but it was really about you and your name, Paul. And religion was just the vehicle that you used to get your glory. And I'm waking you up from that. Because we are all suffering for somebody's name. And in my sin and in my flesh, it's my name. But he's saying, that's not who you are now. <laughs> I've cleaned the dish. Uh, let, me, let me use the gospel and pressure wash the grime off. Because the grime, it's on there. But when I pressure wash it off, what you find underneath is holy, without blemish, free from accusation. This is who you are. I'm the temple in whom God dwells. The hope of glory. That word glory is the word doxology. It's the word doxo. It's where we get the word doxology. It's why we sing the doxology at the end every time, right? That's what we're singing. We're saying, this is the verdict. All praise and all glory and all honor be to you. This is what's true. And I can say that to him because I've gotten his verdict. <laughs> I've gotten Christ in me, which is the verdict. Well done. You're enough. I love you. I like you. I'm pleased. You can't add anything to what I've done for you, and you don't have to. Please, 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 son, daughter, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time, which is ultimately, if, if, he, if I'm his and he is mine, I'm wasting his time in that sense. Don't waste my time or my gifts or who I am trying to get a glory that I've already got. I was made to reflect his glory. Last thing, man, close, two minutes, experiencing the mystery together. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says something really interesting here. He says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you in Laodicea. I want you, my goal is that you may be encouraged in heart, united in love, that you may have full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's talking about, this is Christ in you, hope of the glory. This is what this is about. And then he goes into talking about being encouraged in heart and united in love so that you may have the full riches of understanding. What I want us to consider about this um, is this, that what we're talking about um, is only experienced through relationships. That it's not uh, an intellectual knowledge um, You've heard us say many times here that you can't grow in the gospel. Uh, you can't experience this treasure in isolation. That what Paul is saying above this about Christ in you, the hope of glory, he's saying the only way that you're going to understand that is by being encouraged in heart, united in love. And in those two things, you're going to have complete and full understanding of this mystery. Another way of saying that is this. You can't know the love of God or the riches, or the depth of it. You can't know that until you've struggled to love a brother or a sister well and failed. <laughs> right? These were the Jews and the Gentiles being put together. Two people who were not reconciled, all of a sudden being reconciled. 
What he's basically saying is, is I want you to be encouraged in heart because you've been given a new heart and a new spirit. I want you to be united in love. The word there for love is the word agape. I want you to be united in the kind of love that only comes through Christ because when you are encouraged in heart and united in love, it bears fruit. And the fruit is this. You will realize that the love that I have and the capacity that I have to love is radically transformed because of Christ in me. And if I try to love like he loves without him, I will hit my ceiling, don't we? I hit it 10 times yesterday. (laughs) Oh, that's right. I'm trying to love out of my resources, not out of Christ in me, the hope of glory. And so he's praying for them. He's saying, it's my goal. I want you to be encouraged in heart, united in love. And when you are, you will rejoice in what you suffer. Because that's the primary fruit is this, and that's what Paul suffered for. I'm suffering not to hoard glory, but to share it. It's leaving a life of trying to hoard the glory for a life of sharing the glory because my glory is secure, and my glory is in him, and he has got a reservoir that we can't tap out. So I'll end with Goonies, okay? Remember the end scene, right? They all find him, and they're like, oh, everybody's hugging and everything. And the ship comes out, right? And they realize, like, the treasure's on the ship, and they don't have the money, and they're like, oh. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Yeah, pocket full of jewels, right? Rosalita? Man. Yes, I love this. Rosalita finds the jewels. And there are enough jewels to make a difference, Right? There are enough jewels. The bankers, don't they look at the jewels and they're like, yeah, this should be enough to save the house. You realize you got a pocketful? You, you, don't, you don't have the whole pirate ship yet. And Scripture says the pirate ship's coming. Everything. Stuff that you, and I've got a fantastic imagination, stuff that you can't even dream up. Being with him the great lover of your soul, and everything that comes with that. But right now, you've got a pocket full. You've got the Holy Spirit, the first fruits. You've got His Word, and you have one another, and it's no small thing. Don't make it small. There's weight to it. And we can experience, we can foretaste, we can get a little bit of the taste of the glory that we were made for, and we can remind each other that, hey, I can't get the glory I was made for out of you or out of my job or out of my kid's soccer team. I'll remind you of that truth, and we'll, we'll eat of that truth together. But we got a pocket full. Let's live as those who do. Okay, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you. A good word for our hearts. Uh, thank you that uh, there's no shame here. You made us for glory, and our hearts are screaming for it in our relationships, and our work, and our economics, and and our children. I mean, golly, I'm just screaming. What's going to give me the glory that I most deeply desire? Thank you that this makes it so clear that it's all found in you. May we go on the journey as a community of exploring the depth of this reality, experiencing you together, being encouraged in heart, united in love, that we would understand the depths of this mystery. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Uh, What a miraculous thing, Lord, that you've drawn that near. Um, 
stir our hearts uh, to now, even in these two songs, to sing like that's true. Sing it into existence, that we have pockets full of jewels, because we have you. In your name, amen.